Welcome. My name is Quinn Taylor, and I work for the Renal Network. Our job at the Renal Network is to assist dialysis facilities in giving patient-centered care. I fit into the Renal Network as a patient liaison. Some may say this was a job that was tailor-made for me. I was on dialysis for close to six years. In 2015, I received a life-saving kidney transplant. I've spent many years traveling and sharing my story to spread the message about chronic kidney disease. At the network, we decided what better way to share the stories of real people in the renal world than through a podcast. Kidney Patient Views, Real Stories from Real People, was born. Our goal is to reach others, patients, and beyond, and to educate, empower, and inspire those who listen to them. So today we have with us Annie Hoffman, who is not only a member of our Patient Advisory Council, but she was also the recipient of our Robert Felton Memorial Award for 2018 for her transition and acceptance of dialysis. Hi, Amy. How are you today? I am just fine. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for, you know, joining us. We are so delighted to hear from you. So, um, as I always like to start these off, I kind of like to get some background to let people know um, you're a dialysis patient, correct? Yes. Why don't you just give us a little bit of detail about your journey to dialysis? My journey to dialysis wasn't like someone who has the typical journey. For example, I know a lot of people who knew their kidneys were failing. I wasn't one of them. They they were aware that dialysis was in their future. Well, I wasn't one of those. Um, we found out that my kidneys were failing because I was dealing with high blood pressure. Um, high blood pressure and me never went together before I found out my kidneys were failing. Um, so during the end of the year for 2015, a lot of weird things happened to me. Um, for example, I was having a headache every day that I just did not know how to get rid of, which is abnormal for me because I'm pretty good at dealing with those. So after like five weeks of dealing with that, I'm like, I'm going to the doctor. And I went to the doctor and that's when they found out I had high blood pressure. So he put me on high blood pressure meds and did blood work, which was well, it turned out to be a really smart thing at the time, but it, it didn't make any sense in my head, but that was okay. The blood pressure meds that he put me on made me so sick that I couldn't hold anything down. So the next day after that, um, which happened to be the day before Thanksgiving in 2015, um, my husband was frustrated and took me into the doctor and said, there's something wrong with her. And wouldn't you know, the doctor greeted us at the door and said, come back to my office, which scared us to no end, and said to us, Amy's kidneys are failing. At that point, I only had, oh, 12% kidney function. So that frightened us to no end. And the doctor said, okay, this is the um, high blood pressure med that she's going to be on. I've already consulted with a nephrologist to make sure that this blood pressure med will work for her. 
And we went with that. And since that weekend was Thanksgiving, um, I knew we were going to travel, but I wanted to make sure that um, I was home as much as possible. So if things took a turn south, I had a way to get to the hospital quickly. And my in instinct proved to be accurate because that next Sunday night, I found myself in the hospital. I was not feeling good, was not doing good, and ended up having a two-week stay in the hospital because they didn't know if this was an acute injury to my kidneys or if I would become dehydrated or any number of things that could go wrong. So they got me set up into a better position so that I would be able to go home and be able to function at my job and at my home and be able to do the things that as a mom and a working mom, I could still pull off. So that's how it started. Um, it didn't take two months after that, and I found myself on dialysis because my kidneys were failing that quickly. Um, that is quite a, a, a quick journey. Um, it and is. As you said, it, 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 it sounds like it was very jarring because everything happened so fast. So it was. I kind of ask you another question. How much did you know beforehand about kidney failure? I did not. Um, the only reason I knew as much as I did was because at Thanksgiving when we went to celebrate with my family, um, my sister-in-law is a nurse, and she happened to work at a nephrologist's office for four years. So she could give me a little bit more information and and word it so that it would sink into my brain. And that was very helpful. Um, it scared me a little bit when she said, Amy, they need to be prepping you for dialysis now. But that didn't happen for another two months. So I, I, I found myself again in that boat where, okay, the choice has been made to do dialysis. Let's get that catheter placed in my chest so we can get started so I could start feeling better again. Yes, and um, it's something a lot of people, I know for myself especially, and a lot of other patients I get to, um, you know, I get the the pleasure and the, you know, I'm humbled enough to listen to their journey to dialysis. They often say the moment they hear your kidneys are failing, you have to start dialysis. It's like a defining moment in their lives um, because at that point, you don't know what to expect, but you know your life isn't going to be the same anymore. Did you kind of mm -hmm. experience that? Yes. Um, and that date was January 19th of 2016. So I completely agree with that. I think I did a... Um, pretty good job of handling it because I'd already gone online and looked up a few things so that when my doctor came into um, my hospital room that night and I looked at her and said, I think I need to start doing this. Um, she looked a little surprised, but it, w it was the right choice. Absolutely. Um, one thing, you never forget those dates. Um, I don't care how no. far out those dates are, um, I'm years and years away from my dialysis start date, but I'll always remember it because, um, you know, you just don't ever forget a day like that. 
um, no. life changes. Um, yes. So as you begin your your dialysis journey, if you don't mind me asking, what modality of dialysis did you choose to to use? I started out with um, in-center hemodialysis, and and that was because there wasn't time to per a fistula or graft in my arm and allow it time to mature. And there really wasn't much time for me to consider um, doing the um, peritoneal dialysis. So that that's why I ended up doing the um, in-center hemodialysis with the um, test access. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, when everything happens so fast, um, it's just a matter of trying to not only get you better, but save your life, which is always the priority. And so um, how was your transition to dialysis? Like, how did you, how was it transitioning to this huge change in your life? It was better than I expected. Um, I would, the reason I was in the hospital during that time, during um, mid-January, was because the doctors had did a biopsy, and my body didn't like it, and I was in some pretty severe pain. So that put me back in the hospital, and that led to the dialysis decision. So um, once that was done, and they sent me for dialysis three mornings in a row while I was in the hospital, I tolerated it pretty well until the last morning, which was a Friday morning, and they ended up having to do a blood transfusion for me because my numbers weren't as good as what they would have liked. So whenever somebody talks about um, giving blood, I tell them about my story about needing it, and I thank them for it and even thank them for considering doing that because that just stuck up on me, and I I never expected that that would be necessary, but it was. No, and you never expect that. Um, no. Just in a, in a roundabout kind of way, just like when people sign up to become organ donors, they never know if they'll be able to impact someone or if they'll be able to give someone a second chance at life or give them, you know, life. But um, you do it because you just know you want to help someone. And um, yep. I'm sure for every person that you thank for giving blood, um, they just think, you know, hey, I'm just giving blood for whatever reason. But they don't realize the impact it has on the person who's the recipient um, and true. what it means to that person. It's very overwhelming. So as you began dialysis and you began getting into it, um, what were some of the feelings and some of the, you know, the feelings you had as far as, you know, as you started getting used to it and started becoming a part of your daily routine in your life? At first it was difficult because um, when you start dialysis, generally you are so bad off that you have that brain fog. And it took it took me two months of dialysis to get through that brain fog and to get to the other side of it so that I could think clearly again. And during this time, I was still working and still doing things at home so that I could feel 
useful and feel like I was more than just a dialysis patient. Having my family here and my husband and two, our two children um, were great helps to me. Uh, my mom and my in-laws also were, were there and willing to drop everything. Um, I know I was able to drive myself to and from work even, even then, but driving to and from dialysis was a different story because for those first four months of um, dialysis, I, I had a massive headache at the end and it was so bad that I could not see straight to drive. So I had to set up rides with um, between my family members and my in-laws family so that I did not have to worry about driving myself and, and risking that. So um, that was good for all of us because I had so many people saying, Amy, what can we do to help? And it, it was very difficult for me to tell them what I needed from them to be able to help my family and I. But eventually I got to that point where I could speak up and say, yes, um, please bring me a meal. Yes, um, please take me to dialysis one day a week, um, something along those lines. And I got that from not just my family at home, but my work family. And I was really frustrating the higher ups at my company because they were asking me, what can we do for you, Amy? And I just did not have a good answer for them. And so unbeknownst to me, um, they were going to my boss and saying, what can we do for Amy? Eventually, they had a bit of a carnival with a dunk tank, and they raised $800 to help me out with expenses. And I was, I was, I was so surprised by that, but I was more surprised by the fact that the higher-ups, I'm talking the, the president of the company, um, the people in charge over in my division were willing to get into a dunk tank and raise money for me. That spoke volumes about just how much they cared. So it, it really humbled me and made it so that I was much more willing to say, yes, thank you for this help. Here, let me write a thank you note and tell me how much, or tell you how much I appreciate what you did for me. So I, I'm learning that just because I have this, this health condition does not mean that I have to rely on myself and only myself. And it's not a bad thing to reach out to others. I was not good at that before I became ill. So I'm very thankful that God has taught me that lesson. No, absolutely. Um, you learn, you know, sometimes... I think when we're diagnosed with these um, chronic medical conditions, a lot of times we feel like we have to prove to people that we're still functional. You know, um, yeah. I know I always tell people I'm not, I'm not um, broken. I'm not, you know, I can still do things. And it makes you a little, you know, I don't want to say headstrong, but it makes a little, it makes it a little hard for you to ask for help. But having a awesome support system in place, whether it's your family, friends, um, an amazing work environment and work, 
you know, family that you have shows you that, you know, it's okay to say sometimes, I need a little help. Or um, sometimes when people just trying to step in to, to help you, even in places you might not realize you need help. Um, it's always such a, a gracious moment for you because I know for me, it's overwhelming because you can't fathom so many people care so much about you. And um, to see how far they will go just to make life easier for you, it's it's kind of amazing. And I'm kind of glad you brought up that you said, um, like, how your family kind of just fell in, being able to pick you up from your treatments because, you know, at the end of you experience the headaches that sometimes you get when you run a hard treatment and things like that. And the physical things that happen, you know, when you dialyze. Um, but why not share with us some of the emotional things? Because people don't realize dialysis is taxing not only physically, but very much emotionally. I always say you almost have to grieve the life you knew before because your life changes so drastically. So um, are you comfortable sharing some of the emotional changes that you went through? Yes. Um I've been known to de- to be depressed on occasion, and I've been even before I was ill. And I was very good at taking the focus off of myself and going out and volunteering or do something to help somebody else. Um, because I find that when I'm depressed, if I do that, that that helps make me feel better. And that is true even now. So on the days where I'm really frustrated and I feel like a kidney, it may be out there for me, but I'm not going to see it for another few years if I'm lucky. Um, I'll find something to do, be it volunteer at a local w- or a local radio station, uh, even if it's just something as simple as writing thank you notes. Uh, I love doing that. It takes the focus off me. Or even spending a day with my daughter. Um, my 20 year old and I, we like to go out and do girly type things, like get our nails done, like, um, get a meal, just something little like that, that, um, puts the fun back into our lives and makes it a little bit easier. Um, depression's about the only thing I've really struggled with. Well, that's not true. Just, just the frustration of, of feeling like my life's been put on hold to a certain extent because, um, yes, I did work when I was, when I was, um, first diagnosed as being in kidney failure, but I have not worked in the past year because physically the dialysis has taken enough of a toll on me that I could not pull off working anymore. So even doing the little things to help encourage me and make me um, look at the bright side, that's really what has made a difference for me. And that's um, very that's very real. A lot of patients go through that because you you have to find something to put your hope in, and yeah. a lot of patients put their hope in getting out of the chair and getting out of dialysis. But the thing is, you have no control over that. And so um, 
when you find you have no control over that, you can start to feel a little down as if this is your life and you'll never get out and this is all you have to look forward to. And um, that's why I always encourage patients to get active, self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, do something that makes you feel good. If it's, like you said, like you and your daughters like to get your nails done, if you like sports, you know, go get active in something. Go watch a game. Um, anything to kind of keep some, I hate the word normal, but to have some type of normalcy in your life so that dialysis isn't your life. I always say you should have dialysis. Dialysis doesn't have to have you. Um, you can have a life outside of it. So uh, you can have a great quality of life outside of it. Um, right. It just right. takes, you know, it takes the mindset and the the diligence to go after it. So, you know, that's awesome thinking, and especially, you know, this is Mental Health Awareness Month. A lot of patients do deal with depression and anxiety secondary to dialysis. So I know that a lot of people listening to this will be able to relate to what you're saying. And so I want to ask you, how are you able to learn to cope with these emotional feelings how are you able to cope with them as you continue this journey? Besides just, you know, going out and doing things, um, like how are you able to cope within your facility or what are ways that you found that help you to deal with these feelings? I find that talking with other dialysis patients is a big help. Um, it, it's a big help because then I know I'm not alone. And they know they're not alone. So giving voice to those feelings is really helpful. Um, On rare occasion, I'll just sit in a quiet house and cry. Um, I don't do that very often, but every once in a while I need to because it's a bit of a grieving process. And if I don't give tears to that, then it seems to weigh me down a little bit further. That and just um, staying active. I, After I stopped working, I told my husband one of my daily goals was to get out of bed and get dressed. Now, that may sound ridiculous to um, three-quarters of the, of the population, but at that point, for me, that was a pretty big goal. And there are some days, probably once, maybe twice a month, where... I allow myself the luxury of not doing those things, of not crawling out of bed and getting dressed. Um, Maybe getting out of bed just to make sure I get something to eat, but allowing myself to just be lazy and know that it's okay to do that, that I don't have to be strong for everybody. And no, and that's an amazing realization that you've made. It's something that I've been talking about a lot recently. What happens, you know, everyone turns to the strong person for help, but what happens when the strong person is weak and they need someone to turn to? Um, You have to be self-aware. You have to implement self-care into your life. You have to say, hey, it's okay to cry. As you said, sometimes you just need that release. You just need to release everything in you. Um, You know, sometimes, look, 
today I'm going to give myself permission to just be for today. And as you said, you give yourself a day or two to just, you know, make sure you get something to eat, but you just, you give yourself permission to just exist in that day. And um, that's very important. You need that for you. So um, to also find solace and encouragement in other patients, people don't understand the the relatability factor is so awesome. It's nothing like hearing someone who has been through the same thing that you have saying, yeah, it's hard. People say, you know, doctors say, yeah, I know it's hard. You know, nurses always hard. And it's not that you discount because they're very experienced in what they do and they've been around long enough to see how hard it is. And they're sympathetic, but, you know, there's a, a a special thing about empathy when somebody has been through what you what you are going through or what you've been through, and they tell you, I understand. It's almost like an instant connection. Do you find that to be true? Yes. Um, I did home dialysis for a year. And what we're talking about is the reason why I stopped was because I felt so isolated and I needed to be able to have that connection with my fellow dialysis patients more than just the once-a-month clinic visits that I was doing. Um, Being able to look around every time I did dialysis and see that it's not just me in that boat was very helpful. And that's awesome. For some people, you know, um, home modalities are very are very much a godsend for some people, especially if they yeah. if it fits their lifestyle. But for some people, they need that interaction on a daily well not daily, but they need that interaction on a frequent basis. Um, they need to be around other patients. They need they just need that for themselves. And so um, I'm glad that you're able to say, yeah, you know, I needed to be around other patients. Um, Not everybody has the courage to say that. Right. So, um, you know, definitely give yourself, you know, a big hug, squeeze, as I say, for being able to have the courage not only to say that, you know, you need that support and camaraderie from patients, but but for saying you know, I was depressed. A lot of patients, um, they go through all of these emotions and they're not quite able to put words or titles to those feelings. So um, you should be very, very proud of yourself. And you've come a long way, which is why you are our Robert Felton Memorial Award recipient because, you know, that that award, which is named after Bob Felter, who was a very important volunteer and integral part of the renal network, um, is given to patients who not only accept dialysis, but they also help other patients to accept it and just kind of help them through their journey. So we thank you for everything that you do and um, know that you're you're doing phenomenal. Thank you. No problem. And so 
I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast. Um, I think it's a very important one. As I mentioned before, this is Mental Health Awareness Month. I think mental health health really goes hand in hand with dialysis. It's just people don't really talk about it. It's kind of a, a understanding that you don't really want to discuss. But um, the more we talk about it, the more people we help. So I know this is going to reach and help people. So um, thank you again for joining us. And I, I'm glad that you shared your story. And I hope that you were able to share everything you wanted to share. I was. Thank you. I would like to extend a personal thank you to every person who listened to and enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to reach out to us. We are the Renal Network, ESRD10, contracted for the great state of Illinois. You can find us on the web at www.therenalnetwork.org. If you have any ideas for future podcasts or would like to participate in a podcast, you can reach us at 317-257-8265. Until we meet again, be encouraged and reach for every silver lining. Bye-bye.